You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from his word today. All right, thank you. What an incredible thought. That he watches the sparrows and he watches us as well. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 118. There have been times in my ministry when I have said, take your hymnal. And then I'm like, I mean, take your Bible. But you know, today we're not only taking our Bible, but we're also going to take the hymnal of the nation of Israel. The book of Psalms. And as you read through the Psalms, you're reading the hymnal of the nation of Israel. Psalms 118, I've entitled the message this morning, Israel's Favorite Song. What's your favorite song? Now you know what mine is. What's mine? It is well with my soul. That's my favorite song. But what is your favorite song? This was the favorite song of the nation of Israel, and it is jam-packed full of praise and thanksgiving to God. And so as we go into this Thanksgiving week, I think this would be a great hymn for us to consider. Now, tonight we're going to have a inspiration. I'm not going to take the time this morning to read this entire hymn. It's really broken down in a very unique way, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later in the message. But tonight, before our, in, our singspiration, we're going to read this entire psalm. But right now, I'm just going to read the first and then the last verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is what? Let's say it again. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Now, verse 29. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is what? He is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we enter into this week and a celebration there on Thursday and the Thanksgiving holiday, help us to be people who have a grateful heart and really recognize in a real way how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history leading up to our Thanksgiving celebration. And I want to want to read this. Um, it's uh, what will just help us kind of condense the whole history behind Thanksgiving. And here we go. A Thanksgiving history started with the harvest celebration of the pilgrims and the native Indians that took place in the autumn of 1621. The pilgrims who sailed to this country aboard the Mayflower were originally members of the English separatist church known as the Puritans. They had earlier fled their home in England and sailed to Holland to escape religious persecution. There they enjoyed more religious tolerance, but they eventually became very dischanted with the Dutch way of life, thinking that it was much too ungodly. I wonder what they would think about our way of life today. 
Seeking a better life, the separatists negotiated with the London Stock Company to finance a pilgrimage to America. On July 1620, they traveled to England on a ship called the Speedwell. On September 16, 1620, they boarded the Mayflower and left Plymouth, England for America. The trip over the Atlantic took 66 days. The Mayflower arrived at Cape Cod on November 21, 1620. Before leaving the ship, the men and heads of family gathered together and signed what we know today as the Mayflower Compact. Here is a portion of it. In the name of God, amen, whose names are underwritten, the loyal subject of our dreaded sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, defender of the faith, having undertaken, this is why they came to America, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. What a great Christian heritage we have here in America. Forty-six of the original 102 immigrants died in the first winter. Four entire families were taken. There was only one family that did not lose a family member. Of the 18 married women, 13 of them died in that first winter. Only three of the 13 children perished. And this seems to indicate that the mothers were probably giving their share of food to their children. Samoset was the first Native American to make contact with the pilgrims. On March 16, 1621, the settlers were more than surprised when Samoset strolled straight in to the encampment at Plymouth Colony and greeted them in English. Samoset had learned English from some English fishermen that came to fish off the shores of Maine and had done so for the past 50 years prior to the arrival of the pilgrims. The pilgrims managed to survive in large part also because of the help of Squanto, another Native American, who also spoke fluent English. Now, the reason that he spoke English was because as a young man, he was taken captive uh, by some English explorers, taken back to England, sold into slavery. He eventually escaped slavery and then made his way back here to America. And the pilgrims saw him as a gift from God. He taught the pilgrims how to fish, how to plant corn, and how to farm the land. At the end of the first year, the Puritans <clears throat> held a harvest feast celebrating the fruits of their farming efforts. The first honored, the feast honored their friends, the Wampanoag Indians. The feast was followed by three days of Thanksgiving. I, I like that. Followed by three days of Thanksgiving celebration for God's provision and his blessing. 
Today, the traditional Thanksgiving dinner includes a number of dishes, such as turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, canned yams, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie, and you're all ready to say amen and go home. <laughs> but the first Thanksgiving, however, in the Plymouth Colony, included wild turkey, geese, ducks, swans, fish, lobster, smoked eel, oh, yum, yum, and clams. The first feast also included berries, plums, grapes, cranberries, pumpkin, squash, onions, beans, lettuce, spinach, cabbage, carrots, corn, and porridge. The colony's governor, William Bradford, noted in a journal that the Wampanoag Indians also brought the offering of five deer to the first feast. So that gives you a little bit of history behind our Thanksgiving celebration. Now, Ben Vincent, in our Sunday school hour this morning, taught half of the message that I am preaching here. And uh, he was going to read this proclamation by George Washington, and I graciously said, stop. <laughs> but I want to read to you what President Washington said. Whereas it is the duty. Oh, that we would come back to our great heritage. Amen. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and single favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them the opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. And also that we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. Given under my hand at the city of New York the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1700. And 89, signed George Washington. President Lincoln was the first president to proclaim Thanksgiving as a national holiday. And this is his proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthy skies. To these bounties which are consistently enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, the everlasting watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sin, nevertheless, He has remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole of the American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those in foreign lands to set aside the observance 
of the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our uh, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. In testimony whereof I have hereto signed my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. May we never forget and may we always and forever be thankful. This psalm that we are considering today is known as the most loved psalm by the Jewish people. It's much like today most everyone in America knows Amazing Grace. Or we know How Great Thou Art. I guess we could call them the two most favorite hymns of America. Well, this was the most favorite hymn of the nation of Israel. It begins with an outburst of praise and thanksgiving to God for his everlasting mercy and then ends with the same refrain which we have just read. If you have a study Bible, some of the study Bibles will say that this was the national hymn of praise and thanksgiving for the nation of Israel. Now think about this. For over 400 years, that's a long time. For over 400 years of Israel's history, this psalm, are you still with me? This song, this hymn, was played every Sabbath and accompanied the procession of the priest into the temple. This psalm was also recited before the worship service would begin. So every Sabbath for 400 years, this psalm was read and this psalm was sung. Now, we're going to break this psalm down for you right now, but tonight... As we break it down, we're going to read the entire psalm. But just kind of listen as I go along here. Verse 1 through verse 4 was recited by the high priest. Verse 5 through verse 7 was then recited by the king himself. Verse 8 through verse 9 was recited by the whole of the people. Verse 10 through verse 18 was recited again by the king. Verse 19 through verse 20 was recited by the doorkeeper. And you can see that in that couple verses there. Verse 21 was recited by the king. Verse 22 through verse 24 was recited by the whole of the people. Verse 25 through verse 27 was recited by the high priest. Verse 28 was recited by the king. And then everyone together recited verse 29. That happened every single Sabbath before worship service began. I remember when I first began to pastor at First Baptist Church of Napoleon. We had a piano and we had a pipe organ. Now, I never was a real fan of a pipe organ. It always kind of sounded to me like a funeral home. I really liked the high-spirited, happy kind of plane that we have here in our church. But that was the church I took the pastorate of. Every single Sunday before the worship service began, we sang the doxology. 
We sang the doxology here today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. There's still a lot of traditional services today that begin every worship service with the doxology. I was eventually able to wean ourselves away from the doxology because I just saw it as formalism. And I like kind of starting the morning service with more on a happy note than the doxology. But we were able to sing the doxology today, and it's a beautiful hymn, isn't it? Think about this. Every single Sabbath, this song was recited and this song was played. Now, did the nation of Israel go through a lot of trials and tribulations? So despite all that the Jewish people went through, every single Sabbath, this song reminded them of God's deliverance. You'll see that through the psalm of God's salvation, of his mercy, of his grace, of his love. And something that God never wanted them to forget. Even though things were very difficult for them. Remember when the Lord Jesus had all of his disciples gathered there in the upper room and they were observing the Passover, what we know as the Last Supper and the institution of the Lord's table. After the supper being ended, how many remember what they did? They sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang a hymn. Do you know most Bible students believe, and it makes sense, that the hymn that they sang was, guess what? Psalm 118. Although the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, most believe that it was this beloved psalm that was sung as they ended the Passover celebration. Why is it why is it so important that we give thanks unto the Lord? Why is it? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Some of you remember when Brother Duncan from South Carolina came and did a couple of our revival services. There was a saying that he taught us years ago that has stuck with us. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Let's say that again. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Question, do you believe that? Really? God is good. Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is is good when we refuse to believe that god is good all the time i'm here to tell you satan is going to capitalize on that he is going to drive home a stronghold in your life and from that stronghold he will bring all kinds of damage and devastation to you i'm here to tell you this is one of the most important truths that you can get in your heart and mind and embrace and that is god is good period no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how many trials the nation of Israel went through, they were to be reminded every Sabbath, God is 
good. Our God is a good God. Don't ever forget it. As I begin to ponder and I begin to think about that, that truth and how often I haven't embraced that truth and I haven't believed that truth and I've focused in on my sufferings and my trials and my adversity and I haven't seen the goodness of God in everything. Satan has gotten tremendous advantage in my life. He has caused me to be bitter, to be resentful, not only toward God, but even towards those who have brought that suffering into my life. And I'm here to tell you that whole idea, it's a doctrine, it's a teaching of Scripture, that God is good. It is repeated over and over and over again, not in just this psalm, but in many of the psalms. It is repeated that God is good. So I was, as I was pondering all of this and thinking back over my life and the times that I have not seen the goodness of God in every situation, I began to realize that was the very basis of the first lie that Satan told, recorded in the scriptures, to Eve. When, God, when Satan came to Eve in the garden, what did he convince her of? God isn't good. And it was that basis upon which he was able to build that temptation. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, questioning the word of God. Listen, don't ever question that this Bible is the preserved, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God. If you do, Satan will get an advantage in your life. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You all know this. Again, questioning God's word and denying the authority of the word of God. But then listen to what he said. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as God's knowing what? Good and evil. God's not good to you. God's withholding something from you. God's holding back from you. You could have this. God is not good. And on the very basis of that lie, he was able to get her to partake of the forbidden fruit. And she gave it to her husband. And he also ate. My dear church family, Satan is so deceptive. He is such a liar. Do not believe what he's telling you. Paul said to the Corinthian believers that if they were ignorant of Satan's devices, he would get an advantage of them. What is Satan's greatest device? Deception. Deception and temptation. He wants to deceive every one of us into thinking that God is not good. Do not give place to the devil. Don't listen to him. 
The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Listen, we are in a battle for truth. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of Satan's strongholds. And then it says this, casting down imaginations. Satan wants you to imagine, he wants to convince you that God is not good. Whatever is going on in your life today, God is good. Whatever trial you are in, God is good. Whatever suffering you are experiencing, God is good. Whatever adversity has come your way, God is good. He's a good God. But Satan will say, no, he's not. And we have to cast down that imagination. Someone just asked me yesterday, they said, you know, I've been asked this question recently. I really didn't know how to answer it. I tried to answer it the best that I could, but the question that was brought to me, how would you answer it, Pastor? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do little children suffer? Why is there famine in the world? Why are all these terrible fires happening over in California? By the way, it's not because of global warming. Amen. Stupid. <clears throat> Why do these things happen? Why do these shootings happen? You know, one thing I've noticed, we have a way of blaming God for all the bad stuff that happens in the world. How many have noticed that? Something bad happens, we blame God. When we don't realize who is the God of this world right now. He never gets the blame. No one ever blames Satan. For all the terrible, awful things that are going on in the world. No one ever blames the fallen nature of man. God always gets the blame. But I'm here to tell you, whatever goes... That's why we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is not always done on this earth. But despite what may be going on in your life right now that you see as really, really bad, I want you to understand something. Nothing bad happens in the life of those who know and love the Lord. That was a really weak amen. You know why? Because many of us do not believe that statement. Nothing bad happens in the life of those who know and love the Lord. You say, well, what's, what's, what's your basis of that claim? For we know that all things work together for what? What may appear to be bad, what we may say, yes, this is really a bad thing that's just happened. This is a tragedy. Take Brother Wesco's murder. God is such an amazing God, and He is such a good God that God could take something as horrible as the murder of one of our missionaries and turn it in to something amazingly good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Whatever's going on in your life, He's a good God. Don't ever forget it. Bring every thought, the passage says. 
into the captivity of Christ. Don't let those thoughts hang out there that somehow God has not been good to me. God can't be anything other than good to me. And by the way, if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in real trouble. Take your thoughts captive. See, you cannot take your thoughts captive and you cannot cast down Satan's lies and you cannot embrace the truth if you don't know the truth. What's the truth that we now know today? God is all the time, all the time, God is good, even when something that we perceive as bad happens in our lives, God in His amazing grace and mercy can turn it around into something good. You know there's so many verses of the Bible that tell us this. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, I want you all to go there. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. This is what we call a messianic prophecy. If you know anything about the life of Christ, this was fulfilled in Christ in Luke chapter 4. It's almost an identical reading. When Jesus was there in the temple. Are you there? Isaiah 61 verse 1. Are you there? All right, for those who aren't there, wake up. I'm losing some of you today. Listen, don't let me lose you on this message. This is, this, I, I believe this. This is one of those life-changing messages. If you'll just get a hold of that truth, God is good. Beginning with verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prisons to them that are bound. Talking about the prison of sin. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Watch this statement. To give unto them beauty for what? How many remember Mount St. Helens? That'll date you. Doesn't it seem like Mount St. Helens just erupted a couple years ago? How many of you have never heard of Mount St. Helens? Oh. What devastation. Remember seeing the, I mean, even seeing the pictures from space. Unbelievable devastation. Everything was wiped out. You go to Mount St. Helens today and it's beautiful. You know why? Listen to me. Because God brings beauty out of ashes. If we'll respond to this whole thing by the grace of God, God will bring the most unbelievable beauty out of the ashes of our life. You know why? Because God is good. Maybe some of you have some real ashes in your life. God wants to bring something amazingly beautiful out of those ashes. To give unto them beauty for ashes. Let's keep going. The, joy, the oil of joy for what? Mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. 
that they might be called trees of righteousness. The strong, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The planting of the Lord. Now notice this last statement here, that he might be what? Does God want to glorify himself in my life and your life? You know what? The only way he can do that is if we're a thankful people and we recognize that God is good all the time. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected or a hopeful end. My brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Church people, I can keep going and going and going and going. God is good all the time. So we wind this up here today. The last thing that Satan wants you to see is the benefits that God will bring into our life through suffering. Now, Ben was going there in the morning's message talking about suffering. But how many of you are thankful for suffering? Oh, look at all the three hands that just went up. I can't raise my hand with you. I wish that your preacher was so spiritually minded and connected that I could raise my hand and I could say, I thank God for all the suffering that's coming into my life. Hmm. No, Satan does not want us to see it. So just two weeks ago, I had a gentleman come to my office that was raised up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. He has since left the independent Baptist church. And he's now going to a Pentecostal charismatic church. He goes, you want to know what my gripe is with the independent Baptist? And I said, what's that? He said, you always think that suffering comes from God. And that suffering is something good. He said, I want you to understand something. One thing I've learned up, and he named the church that he's going to now up in Lansing. He said, God never wants anything bad to happen in a Christian's life. I was like, what planet are you from? (laughs) There are tremendous benefits that come into our lives as we work our way through the sufferings of life. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. So I jotted down, and I'm not, obviously I'm not going to read all these verses. I got the verses to go along with that. But I jotted down 21 benefits that come into our lives through suffering. God gets our attention. Calls us to self-examination. It emphasizes the importance of obedience because a lot of suffering comes because we don't obey the Lord. It frees us from a carnal view of life. It gives us the right priorities in life. It reveals our faults. It increases our patience. It gives us new insight from Scripture. It conquers our pride. Boy, when you're really suffering, pride just kind of goes out the window. 
It purifies our faith. It motivates us to cry unto God. It increases our hatred for evil. It motivates us to pray. It shifts our friendships. It identifies us with Christ's sufferings. It's a preparation for us to comfort others. It's an evidence that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. It reminds us of our weakness, but His strength. It grows our faith, gives us opportunities to witness for Christ, tests the genuineness of our salvation, and ultimately brings glory to God. Now, God is what? All the? All the? God is even when we're suffering. Because God's got some beauty to bring out of ashes. God's got some oil of joy waiting for us. God has a garment of rejoicing to close up, clothe us with. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. As we enter into this week, let us never forget ever, ever forget. Have I said it enough times? God is what? Whatever you're going through, God is good. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.